compliance and security need to move at the speed of business. Because if your security policies or your compliance compliance policies get in the way of people doing their jobs, that's when they stop using them. I use the example of well, I, I I like to build furniture. I have a wood shop in my in my basement, and so when I built my wood shop, I I, I made it so that I have to walk by my safety equipment before I can get to my bench. Like I ha- it's right there. I have no excuse. There's no, it's, it's inconvenient not to put on safety equipment because it kind of gets in my way in order for me to get to doing what I want to do. So I just do it as a matter of habit. And that's my example here is when I'm building a compliance program, you know, I know that there's certain standards that we need to reach, but the question becomes, and, and the kind of creative problem solving is how do we work with entrepreneurs, with business owners, with people who are doing business to make it so that this is just such an ingrained part of how they do business, that it isn't getting in the way. It's just a natural part of what they're doing. And then that goes on the security side. It's fair to say that crypto and Web3 are having something of a moment. Following the collapse of FTX, the ensuing crypto winter, and increased metaverse skepticism, where do we stand today? How are the businesses and entrepreneurs building around Web3 coping with increased regulatory scrutiny and pressure? And with cryptocurrency being such a target for cyber criminals, how do these relatively small firms ensure security is in place without impeding business? I'm George Comedy, and this is First Watch. Today, my guest is David Lopez-Kurtz, founder and CEO of BSL Group, a firm supporting Web3 businesses with organization, legal, and compliance services. He's on the front lines, and I wanted to talk to him about where the crypto and Web3 business landscape stands today after crypto winter and where he sees it heading tomorrow. David Lopez-Kurtz, welcome to First Watch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that crypto and Web3 are having a bit of a moment. I mean, between uh, FTX collapse, crypto winter, metaverse skepticism. So I think you are best positioned to give us kind of a broad view. And then I want to dive into some trends and and maybe into the weeds a little bit. So if you had to summarize the state of things in these communities today what what would you tell our listeners well i mean i I think when it comes to to crypto having a a moment it's really a a moment that's affecting places like where i work you know so i'm I'm an attorney and i work at a law firm and um you know i work in compliance and do other things and you know it's been uh, in the years since i started working in this space it was a lot of you know do i need to at this point at this juncture mm-hmm. talk to a lawyer do i need to be thinking about compliance and the moment we've seen is that that has all gone out the window in the last i'd say 18 months 12 months definitely but maybe as long as 18 where the more serious projects aren't questioning whether or not they, they need counsel. It's what counsel from whom and, mm-hmm. and, and to and to what extent they need to integrate that into their day to day. And that's been the the radical shift I've seen. So what what is what is happening now? It's no longer um, the SEC is is coming. They're here. Uh, there's no no longer the CFTC mm-hmm. is coming. They're here. It, it, it's it's here. And the question is, what does it mean? What are they saying? 
and and what what effect does it happen on have on 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 developers on entrepreneurs on community members um and and on on users yeah so you you bring up a good point between the sec and the cftc and and even uh in some cases the doj right so there's a lot of letters um and maybe not some clear lines on on jurisdiction is it security is it commodity so i do want to talk a little bit about regulation i think crypto in the popular imagination has a little bit of a wild west feel a little bit entrepreneurial um the ftx stuff doesn't really help that reputation but so getting into the specifics right on february 7th the sec's division of examinations announced 2023 priorities and one of those highlighted topics was around emerging technologies and crypto assets. So to your point, a, a follow-on from activity in 2022. So what are your thoughts on the implications of this new level of prioritization? Well, it's particularly interesting that it's coming from, from, from examinations, right? So the SEC has different divisions that do different things and have different mandates about how they operate within their particular piece of the alphabet suit universe that is <laughs> the SEC, the CFTC, the DOJ, um, the OFAC, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, all of these different things fly around. But within each one of these, these, these agencies or these departments within agencies, there are then sub sort of categorizations. And the fact that examination is, is indicating that this is a priority that I actually think is a heartening point um, mm. because what, what, what examination does is they, they review things. They actually... Are going to review filings they're going to review submissions and one of the great uh complaints and I, I think a merited complaint from the industry has been you keep telling us to comply how who do we send mm -hmm. this to we send you things and no one reads it we, we we send you things and it gets stuffed in a drawer for months and months and months and then we either don't hear back or if you are required to respond to us you, re you respond in the smallest way possible the least useful way possible so w what are you really saying are you really saying you want us to come in and comply this has been chairman gensler's refrain you know mm -hmm. come in from the wilderness and, and and register and participate in the existing infrastructure and where is our place in that infrastructure if you won't read what we're writing and hopefully this mandate or this this declaration of intention from from examinations in particular, as opposed to enforcement, is saying that there's going to be a, an increased um, capacity or will or inclination or whatever, where it ends up being to read these things and to allow for um, you know, registered offerings to happen or quasi registered offerings, not to get into the weeds of securities stuff, but right. there's a, a bit of a range there. Okay. And so from an enterprise or a startup point of view, I do want to touch on that later. Um, the fact that you have both small players and larger institutional players trying to get in. But from, I guess, the point of view, more or less of your clients or the people you speak to, it's not so much a matter of if, but they're here. So at this point, it seems like less of a waiting game to see who is going to get fined or where the enforcement comes from. But it sounds like it's a pretty clear priority. Is that true from the executive level uh, of the organizations you speak to? I, I think so. I mean, I mean, it, the, there's a little bit of confirmation bias, right? If, if, if when it comes to oh, me speaking, sure. when it comes to me speaking with clients about whether or not it's a priority, 
it is because they hired me. So, so there's a, a degree of confirmation biases that's there, but there's also conversations that happen, uh, you know, in communities and of, of, you know, telegram channels and discords and, 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 you know, Twitter, of course. Uh, and, and, and you see, you know, uh, that an increase in appetite of saying, okay, fine, there are going to be rules or there are rules. What are they? What's happening? Let me know what I need to know so that I can get back to doing what it is that I was doing without the arbiter of, of this, you know, potential threat looming over me. Yeah. And I think it's been my experience when I've spoken to the smaller startup organizations that they kind of started operations before they necessarily had the number of personnel to handle it. You know, it's, it's feels like very startup, very entrepreneurial, like maybe five people working on something, whether that is, you know, some software underlying blockchain, or it's a, a small exchange or something. So what are you seeing in terms of like, those kinds of organizations trying to scale up to meet? So on the one hand, it sounds like, okay, regulation, and there's a willingness to be regulated. But like, what about the infrastructure on the on the client side necessary to kind of get up to that level? Yeah, and it's a chicken egg sort of conundrum mm -hmm. for 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 people operating in this space where they need to build the thing to have the money to afford <laughs> right. the stuff they need to build and 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 that's you know it's a difficult tension because not everybody not every project is going to be you know backed by major silicon valley vc firms right they're not going to mm. all have the ability to go from zero to 60 or zero to 75 in the matter of you know the first six months first 12 months of really um hitting the ground running they're going to have to grind these things out and do a degree of bootstrapping when it comes to being conscious of their fees and conscious of their burn um and and, and so that's where i think we're seeing you know in my case like we're, we're seeing a, a rise in service providers that are aiming to meet that that mm -hmm. need of saying okay you need to have this infrastructure it's not cost effective for you at this point in your company's life cycle to have it all in house. How can we provide things like compliance as a service? How can we provide things like an outside general counsel? You don't need to have an entire legal department. Mm -hmm. It does make sense based on the realities of operating in this space to have somebody that you can ask questions of on the fly in real time, particularly on, uh, on the compliance side, when you're looking at what you're doing, the moment you start interacting with the public in particular, making sure that you have someone keeping an eye out for anti-money laundering issues um, that has an established plan for how you're going to deal with know your customer issues so that you don't run afoul of some of these you know very scary bodies of law you know i say like all of law can fall into one of two buckets there's the the, the bucket that involves men in black ski masks kicking down your door and dragging <laughs> you out in the middle of the night and then there's everything else Right. And so this implicates some of that. Right. This is, mm -hmm. this is not something you can trifle with. This is not the kind of area that you can you know, just move fast and break stuff, because when you break stuff in this area, the ramifications can be really, really, really meaningful and far beyond you know, monetary fines and these things, which are serious, but are not the same as as, as losing one's one's liberty. And, and that can happen here. So it's not to, to fear monger anybody, but just to put into context how important it is to do things right. And so I think that's going to be a, a big area 
of of focus and, and we saw it on the we have seen it previously on the technical side and we're seeing it now on the blockchain and web3 space on the technical side people that are facilitating the ability of developers to build applications on top of mm -hmm. blockchains like that's an emerging area really high very highly competitive area of who's going to you know serve as being that you know that that place in the web2 world where you can go and leverage software to to build your website to build your word wordpress mm -hmm. powered website that we're seeing a lot and the same thing is going to happen when it comes to all of these other pieces of your business that you need to build something new and interesting so you're going to need the legal solution you need the compliance solution you're going to need you know the development solutions that help you get to where you need to get in a way that leaves you at the end of the day making sure you hold as much equity as you'd like making sure that you have enough cash reserves in the bank to continue to pay your people and and it's a balancing act this is the the struggle that all entrepreneurs face yeah, you you mentioned the infrastructure of of Web three, and I was speaking in a previous interview to Christopher Russell, who works uh, at a blockchain company, and and he had put his hat in the ring to get a PhD because he felt there aren't enough cybersecurity practitioners influencing policy. He's like, you know, they're writing these policies that, like, if you had ever spent a day in the trenches, they don't make much sense. So, I want to back up here and ask you know do you think that regulation is keeping pace with the technological development in terms of understanding or are we trying to jam these assets into <clears throat> older mechanisms i mean i would like to remind people right the securities act is the securities act of 1933 you know when right the notion of commodities was stuff that could get shipped on a train um, and securities, even, you know, derivatives weren't really conceived of at the time of that legislation. So just want to get your take there in terms of level of understanding at the policy level. Yeah, I mean, and I think the answer is going to be a little bit of both of those tranches there. In, in some ways, and you know, as much as it frustrates me to say this, I, I don't disagree with Chairman Gensler on his take on certain products certain products clearly seem to fall mm -hmm. within the securities realm like we we go to to, to the you know the howie test We're going from the secv howie look at an investment of money into a common enterprise with the expectation of profits from the efforts of others you see that quite clearly in certain mm -hmm. products that are coming out um but what he is failing to do is to paint with a nuanced brush. And if we if we look just just at the matter of staking, you know, staking is not staking is not staking. There's a, there's a very significant delta between staking as as part of a validation regime for as part of a proof of stake mechanism uh, versus staking as a liquidity provider in in a decentralized exchange versus staking in a way that essentially just looks like a depository account um with a bank right like just those three examples are radically different from one another in mm -hmm. form and in function and the chairman is inclined to treat all three of them as though they are interchangeable um fungible if you will and, and, and we know that they're not we know that the, the the way that these you know even if the product or the the asset on each of these is the same say it is dealing just with with ETH. Let's say it's ETH in all three of those examples. That would be uh, a, an asset that could be used in all three of these ways. The ETH 
isn't what's making the categorization or the characterization that's meaningful for purposes of whether or not existing securities regulation makes sense. It's it's the smart contracts that they're interfacing with. It's the, right. the ability to stake in, in these different ways. And I do think that that's when we see um, a, a lack of um, meaningful understanding on, on the part of some policymakers, but not all. I mean, it, it's helpful mm-hmm. that there are sophisticated um, you know, industry groups that are doing really good work of spreading information um, in Washington, D.C. Um, and it helps that we there are, you know, you know, senators and, and you know federal officials who 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 are open to learning more. But I do think that yeah, in the data security space, that's a great example of yeah. If you have a practitioner who then wants to dive back into the academy for purposes of coming out with the the necessary bit of letter soup that they need to have at the end of their name to have a meaningful voice in the conversation, that's fantastic. And I hope that we see that in this space as well. Okay. Um, so I wanted to circle back to something you said you talked about the communities and you mentioned telegram um you know in full disclosure we have a lot of customers in the cryptocurrency space that uh, use our services to monitor for telegram and you know i found it really unique learning that that was kind of the channel of choice for this particular community that was something i learned um we have seen with larger financial institutions vis-a-vis whatsapp um, and mobile messaging compliance concerns that came around the year before, we've seen this convergence of security and compliance coming to the table, right? When you see the big headline in Bloomberg, you know, $1.8 billion in fines for record-keeping violations, you think compliance. But more and more, uh, I think because of the distributed nature of those communications, they're often on personal devices, not managed devices, or that's a question that the organization is tangoing with, that before 2020 we were either talking to compliance or you're talking to security and very much now is on on uh, both sides of the table do you see that coming into effect with cryptocurrency i say that knowing that crypto is also just a prime target for cyber criminals looking at you lazarus group out of north korea right over four billion in cryptocurrency stolen last year um so just wanted to get your take on that and that that risk management um synthesis i guess is a word for it compliance and security need to move at the speed of business because if your security policies or your compliance compliance policies get in the way of people doing their jobs that's when they stop using them i use the example of well i i i like to build furniture I have a wood shop in my in my basement and so mm. when i built my wood shop I, I i made it so that i have to walk by my safety equipment before i can get to my bench like i have it's right there i have no excuse there's no it's, it's inconvenient not to put on safety equipment because it kind of gets in my way in order for me to get to doing what i want to mm. do so i just do it as a matter of habit and that's my example here is when i'm building a compliance program I know that there are certain standards that we need to reach, but the question becomes, and and the kind of creative problem solving is, how do we work with entrepreneurs, with business owners, with people who are doing business to make it so that this is just such an ingrained part of how they do business that it isn't getting in the way. It's just a Mm. natural part of what they're doing. And then it goes on the security side. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, And uh, that's helpful to think of those two in the same way. Also, I I would love the visual metaphor of 
having to walk past the compliance controls before you got into a building, but I guess we're more distributed than that <laughs> these days. Um, okay, so a bit of a fortune telling or prognostication. We're at the beginning of the year, coming off of a pretty crazy year for crypto and Web3. Where do you see us going uh, in the short term, sort of maybe by the end of this year? What, where, what are some trends that you feel have momentum? Prognostication. So where do things go? I think we're going to, after a very difficult down market, and I, and I know personally projects that didn't survive, good projects, projects, interesting projects that didn't survive this down market, we're, we're going to s- still see a bit of that if I'm if I'm going to be totally honest. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what we're going to see is that the projects that do make it out the other side are going to be stronger. And I think we're going to start to see a pretty significant uptick in in consolidation in, in kind of both the in like this quote unquote middle market of these projects, these kind of mid-sized projects that survived or are barely making it through. Uh, we saw it in, in the Web 2 uh, you know, the dot-com bubble burst. And then what did we actually see after that that burst? We we saw the rise of titans that were acquiring, 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 pulling together into these, you know, multifaceted, gigantic amalgams of, of, of these different projects. And I think we're going to start seeing some of that. We haven't seen a lot of it in this space yet, but I think it's about about time that we're going to see that uptick in in, in M and A, and if you start seeing an uptick in M and A, it's going to feed into these security and compliance considerations. Because if you mm. want your deal to go through as seamlessly as possible, if you want to get the best possible valuation, the best possible EBITDA multiple, you want to have as few warts on your project as possible. So if you show up to the deal, if you're the one being acquired, and you have uh, a compliance program. You have secure security policies and procedures, and you know the risk of the acquisition goes down. Your valuation will go up, right? That's where you're going to see the return on your investment to building those things. Uh, and in the inverse, if you're going to become a a company that's acquiring other companies, you yourself need to make sure that you have the infrastructure necessary to appropriately conduct diligence in this space. And that's going to be, I think, another huge area where you have mm-hmm. lots of lawyers working in web three who don't know anything about web three applying maybe older mna standards and due diligence practices they don't know what they're reading and they don't know who to go to to ask about Mm -hmm. reading it you look at you know they if if you if you you can't conduct due diligence on something that's premised on the smart contract if you can't read the smart contract Mm -hmm. otherwise you have to just read the white paper and assume the white paper is correct Right. Like that, that's to me a huge failure of, of diligence. You have to be able to understand how to scan a wallet and to look four, five, six hops out to understand what the risk exposure is to a digital asset wallet. Uh, you, you, if you don't understand how to do these things, or if you don't have counsel or a service provider who can provide you with that additional context and information, I'll give a brief anecdote. I, I received a message from a client. The client said, Hey, um, my partner's counsel reviewed these documents. Uh, we're good to sign sign and, and close this deal. We're just sending them to you for, for your records. I'm like, oh, great. You know, let me take a look. And I open the document. I start reading it. I go, this doesn't smell right. Um, hey, can we hold off on this? Um, I have some questions. And so we held off for a minute and got on the call. It was a Saturday. 
I said, you know, can we get the the the, the wallet address that we're going to receive payment from? Which is a reasonable request if you work in this space, you want to sure. know, <laughs> yes. like you know, where the funds are coming from. And they wouldn't provide it. The other side wouldn't provide that wallet address. Mm. And I'm like, this is a huge red flag. You can't do this transaction without that. Like they, and so it, then as we continue to push and say, okay, where's the, this wallet? You know, what what is the the procedure here? This procedure doesn't make sense as it relates to escrow. You're saying that you're going to get escrow from this exchange. This exchange doesn't do escrow yet. They're launching that product product this quarter, but it's not live mm-hmm. yet. And it ended up being a scam. The end of the story is that it, it was a scam. And if the client had tried to close this deal, they would have been out of about a million and a half dollars. They would just would have been scammed. And that was after a review of counsel. They had talked right. to a lawyer. A doctor, a lawyer had read the documents and said, we're good to close. Let's go. We're, we're, we're ready to go. We've talked to the other side. We feel really good about this. We're going to sign all the documents and start sending funds. And that's that's another piece I think that's going to start coming up is that people that are ostensibly working in this space or have dabbled in this space because they bought into Bitcoin or something like that are going to start getting in trouble. Like it, it's it's not going to be enough to be a, a um, you know, an enthusiast you know these are yeah, i was gonna say trans- enthusiast <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, these transactions are getting bigger the volume is getting faster and you have to th- there will be a professionalization as it relates to the professional services in this space and um I, I think right now there's a big disconnect where you have very high-end practitioners at the very very tippy top of the market and then a massive delta where there then is just this uh, a looser network of, of boutiques that are that are handling this and, and nothing else. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for middle market service providers and the legal accounting compliance um, to all learn how to adjust their own models to meet that need, uh, whether that means training, whether that means hiring, whether it means uh, leveraging technology, whether it means all of the above that need whoever figures out how to best meet that need will find the demand in the coming 12 to 18 months i think that's a good place to stop it sounds less like doom and gloom you know circle the drain apocalypse more like you know do market correction meets uptick in expertise and professionalization which i think is just the natural maturity curve of most new uh technologies um so yeah, I think that's a that's a sound uh, fortune to tell. Yeah, I, I think I think no no doom and gloom is is the place to to stop on this. Like, is this scary? Yes. Has this year been hard on so many people in this in this space in this mm-hmm. community? Um, it, it has been very 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 difficult. But I think the future is is bright. I, mean, I don't think that the the trail will be necessarily easy to hike, but. I think there's still an opportunity for people to reach the top of the mountain if they're willing to put in the work. Well, David, thank you so much for the time. uh, And I appreciate you uh, taking that moment to talk with us. Of course, George. Thanks again for the opportunity. That's it for First Watch today. My thanks to David Lopez Kurtz. To hear more interviews with leaders and more Spotlight episodes, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Matias Safaletti and production help from Jamil Moffey. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.